0: This is the Bird Dad podcast. I'm Ian Carlson. Do you see the ducks? Do you like the ducks? <laughs> <laughs> a year ago, when I was just a father to be, I couldn't tell you how often people would remark to me that those first years would just fly by. If I had a nickel for every time it was spoken to me, I'd have some pretty heavy pockets by now. The quick passage of time was pretty much the number one consistent theme of any father-to-father-to-be remarks, with, your life is over, being a close and unpleasant second. I personally found that I enjoyed the company of the people talking about time a bit better than the folks telling me I was screwed. Well, we're about 11 months into the life of our son, and he's growing, changing, and learning every day. He likes birds, and perhaps more accurately, he likes every living thing. Watching him as he watches the ducks as they nibble on our handouts of cracked corn is a delight hands clasped, eyebrows raised, his head leaning slightly forward, his eyes wide, and his mouth pressed into a little O that coos with interest and pleasure. <laughs> yeah, they're ducks. A duck is a type of bird. These are mallards. Yeah. Yeah, and they like eating cracked corn. Uh, Mallards are one of only two species of ducks that humans have domesticated. And there's no question as to why. The mallards at Royal River Park are so attuned to human feeding that they'll stir with anticipation as soon as I step to the side of the river. They quack, even before I pulled the bag of corn. I'm usually against feeding wild animals, but find I am quick to betray my high horse values for my son's delight. Besides, mallards are one of the most successful and widespread of the dabbling ducks, breeding from here all the way to eastern Siberia, and it's not like these ducks aren't going to get fed, and someone should feed them decent food instead of crusts of white bread which contain no fat or protein and are ruinous to the duck's health. I did want to talk more about being a father here, and I will, but I just want to talk for a second about the remarkable mechanism that is a duck's leg. Ducks are marvelously insulated, wrapped as they are in the same downy feathers as we use to fill our puffy coats, but their feet are not. How then can a duck stay warm pumping up ice-chilled blood from its feet. Well, it'd be cruel not to tell you at this point. A duck's arteries, pumping warm blood out from its heart, actually intertwine with the cool veins running up from a duck's feet. This warms the incoming blood from the feet and keeps the duck from losing too much heat. There. There's your duck fact for the day. In regards to being a father, time hasn't moved quickly yet. There's been no temporal slippage that I've sensed. In fact, there seemed to be a lot of time about. I feel like I'm standing under a crashing waterfall of moments. And when I pull myself mentally from this torrent, there's no sudden feeling of missing time. It feels like ten months have happened, but I do have a hard time remembering just what happened in those 10 months. Maybe that's the thing that will feel like lost time, that in this crush of work, pandemic, projects, birds, and baby, some things won't have been committed to memory, and some of those things might be things I'll have wanted to commit. A life list is something like a memory, or at least it's a doorway into my small palace of memories. A tea cookie trigger for a cascading series of, oh yes, and hmms that are of greatest importance to me, and of middling importance to anyone else. In 2013, I saw my first Anna's Hummingbird. Wait, that? That was seven years ago. No, wait, that was eight years ago. Wow. Anyway, in 2013, I saw my first Anna's hummingbird. I was just getting into birding. And this is one of those moments where the person you were was living their best life, but the person you are now is pulling your hair out thinking of all the cool things that you missed. I spent one week on the Pacific coast with hundreds of new birds to see, but only came back with six identifiable species. It could be a real tragedy if I wanted to dwell in my regret. Priorities shift. What can you do? When I saw my first Anna's hummingbird, I was in Portland, Oregon, visiting my friend Jeff. Jeff and I had been best friends and roommates before he packed up and left for Oregon with his then-partner, Chelsea. I'd flown out to join them because, well, I was a freewheeling 20-something with little to no cash and even less responsibilities. I think back then I had, like, one key on my keychain. I missed Jeff. And we had a documentary film we were still editing and working on, and that was a good excuse. The documentary we were working on was called Year-Round Metal Enjoyment, and it was about a specific group or crew of artists that painted graffiti on freight trains. Jeff and I were both deeply interested in freight train graffiti, but my interest took a sharp left turn, and I got really into the freights themselves. Rolling stock, reporting marks, paint schemes for obscure short-line railroads who owned what trackage, where. There's a part of me that loves consuming specific sets of knowledge. First it was dinosaurs, then it was trains, and now, birds. We spent most of that week driving all over Portland, looking at trains and graffiti, and doing some other 20-something touristy stuff. Voodoo donut, food truck, thrift shopping. Anyways, my lifer, Anna's Hummingbird, was seen just outside of the big Union Pacific train yard on Swan Island. Swan Island is mostly industrial lots. Warehouses, a few office buildings, a boat launch, and a huge, huge train yard. Massive, six-axle ES44AC locomotives in the bright yellow Union Pacific paint scheme rumbling about covered in grime and filth, pumping exhaust into the brisk winter air. The noise was deafening. In fact, I I really wish I had recorded some audio from this place, because when I think back, I hear it so clearly. Here, let me try something. So, we were at the top of the yard, walking trackside, and five or six big Evolution Series locomotives were idling nearby. Just a huge... And one of them must have been connected to a line of cars, because I distinctly remember the ticks and the hissing of a brake line as it was pressurized. Yeah, sort of a... we were moving along a line of insulated, flat-paneled boxcars, Southern Pacific and uh, Golden West mostly, being offloaded alongside a warehouse, creaking under the weight of the forklifts as they went in and pulled out pallets of beer. and listening to the announcements over the warehouse loudspeakers just in case we had to book a hasty retreat. We were trying not to trespass, but it was hard with so much poorly marked private property lying about. There. That's something like it. We had found a boxcar with some graffiti on it from one of the subjects we had interviewed back in New England. Jeff was filming it for the documentary, and I had the bright idea to film Jeff filming the graffiti. So, I walk over towards one of the boxcars, which is parked along the edge of this intimidating-looking fence topped with razor wire. And suddenly, I hear a little... I look over, and there, on the razor wire, on the edge of this big, filthy train yard, is a hummingbird. A cold-looking hummingbird, it was January after all, with its iridescent green feathers fluffed up. Just a little flying thing, weighing less than a sheet of paper, sitting amidst diesel locomotives that weighed thirty times the weight of a Tyrannosaurus rex. I'd never seen a hummingbird sit so still before, and there was something poetic about the beautiful, delicate little thing sitting on razor wire. So I took a picture. And that picture is all I have. My memory is entirely from that photograph. It's so much so that I can't even remember if the bird moved from that spot or moved while I was watching it. In my mind, that bird is fixed to that concertina wire. It could be fixed there still, seven years hence. Eight. With a little extrapolation and exercising of my memory, I can create this whole lead-up. This whole memory of who and what and where I was. But the bird itself is almost entirely forgotten. It's just that photograph. I have this running theory that a birder's life list is more about the birder than it is about the birds. I must try to watch each bird more closely. I must try to watch my son more closely. This podcast is written, recorded, and produced. By me, Ian Allen Carlson. Music by Doubletone. For those of you interested in checking out that documentary I mentioned, you can find it at www.ymefilm.com. That's the letters Y, M, and E, film.com. Or follow the link in the show notes. Use the code BIRDDAD, all one word, lowercase, to get 50% off the screening price. Special thanks goes out this episode to Ethan Whitaker for his recent words of encouragement. Thanks, Ethan. Glad you're along for the ride. If you'd like to send me some words of encouragement, you can email them to me at birddadpod at gmail.com. That's birddadpod.com. At gmail.com. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your media from. I'd appreciate it. And I appreciate you. Stay safe. Talk soon. jerky bullets are still on.